Hello, and welcome to I Like It Okay, a podcast for specific tastes and even stronger opinions. I'm Ryan. And I'm Dee Dee. And today we are discussing The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klum. You did not enjoy it. You have to be like a real big piece of shit. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> I can't think off the top of my head of any other book where I cried from like joy. And before we dive in, I do just want to say that this book was brought into my life by my book club, the Tea Time Literary Club. I'll put their um, Instagram handle down in our description. Um, But they made this their May and June book. And honestly, like if I had seen this book, I probably wouldn't have read it because it doesn't seem like my typical, you know, high fantasy romance. But Thank God for them, because this is one of those books that I immediately just put at the top of my list for favorite books of the year. So shout out to them. If you guys ever want to join a book club, the Tea Time Literary Club is a lot of fun. So Dee Dee introduced me to this book a few months ago, um, and I just loved it. And honestly, I'm shocked to say that yesterday Dee Dee asked me what my favorite books are. And when I really thought about it, this is now at my number one. Which is crazy to say. Yeah. I knew you were going to love this book. When I first read it, I mean, I fell in love with it. And, I mean, you remember, I kept popping my head out of my room. And I was like, Ryan, you need to read this book. Like, I just knew that this would be right up your alley. Yeah, definitely. It's the perfect kind of romance. It's not not sexual at all. It's so understated. Um, so subtle. And, like, I, you know, there's a, I've loved, read a lot of books that have like gay or lesbian protagonists and they're almost exclusively written by women Mm -hmm. and i think reading this is one of the first books reading that the author is actually a gay man Mm -hmm. it really brought in a different perspective yeah and one that like i really connected with and there were so many parts of the movie that you're like damn i know that feeling yeah there were a lot of like really like hard hitting quotes and lessons in this book. I mean, there were so many times where I just had to put the book down and be like, damn, they really just said that, like that feeling that I've had in my heart that I've like never put words to. They really just like came out and put words to it. Which we'll get to those, some of those quotes yes, later. Yes. We do have a lot of quotes to cover. Um, I do have to say, if any of you have not read this book, run, don't walk to yeah. your local bookstore of choice. I don't even care if it's Amazon. You must get your hands on this book. It's not a hard read. It's not a long read, but it is chicken noodle soup for the soul. It is so good. And I mean, I have a couple people that ask me for book recommendations on Instagram. And every day, this is the number one book I say, because it's just... I don't, I don't know what would have to be wrong with you to not enjoy it. I think it's good for everybody. It's just so warm. Yeah, I mean, as I tend to do, I did read the Amazon reviews for this book, which <laughs> there are quite a few people who are big mad. Why? Because it's not apparent from, like, the description or anything that there's a gay romance involved. Ugh. And so people who are like, I don't want this shoved down my oh, throat, God. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Which so, like, get a life. Okay. So I do know what has to be wrong with you for you to not enjoy it. You have to be like a real big piece of shit. <laughs> End of story. Hot takes. So, I mean, let's get into some of the characters. So Linus, he is, I think he's 45. He's 45. He's short. 
Um, he's a little tubby. And he's balding. And he's balding. And I, not to clock myself, but I identify with this character so deeply. Um, <laughs> okay. I really do. Um, we'll talk about him when we get to the quotes, but he says some things that I'm just like, Oh, Damn. you mean emotionally? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, Ryan, no offense, but like... I'm neither balding. <laughs> yeah, I was 45. like, how are you viewing yourself? Okay, yeah, emotionally for sure. Yeah, he cuts pretty deep with some of his quotes. Um, so obviously he's pretty depressed with his current situation. He living well, in the honestly, city. Honestly, I don't think at the beginning he's not depressed with this current situation. He's just kind of numb to everything. He's just going through life yeah. and emotions. I don't think he's necessarily, he doesn't, if you'd asked him, he would not think he was sad. Okay, but that made me, like, feel very hashtag seen, because for anybody who follows me on Instagram, it is pretty well known that 2020, I had a rough go, and I had a crazy time with my mental health, but for a long time, I refused to believe it was mental health. I thought I was just peachy. So that kind of made me um, identify with his character a little bit because, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he would say he was depressed, but he was definitely living, like... Minimally. Yeah, he, you can he tell was he was... surviving. Yeah, he was, he was not thriving, you guys. And it's Linus Baker, by the way. Just the, the, oh, okay, Baker. The names are kind of used a lot, and they're one of my favorite plot devices of, like, seeing it slowly erode <laughs> from... Mr. Baker to Lioness. Yes. Yes. So we have Lioness, and then we have the caretaker for the children, Arthur Parnassus. Mm -hmm. And he, I just don't even know how to describe him. Just a king. He's tall. Yes. Thin. Yes. Blonde. Yes. Which I, I don't know. I think I have a medical condition. Whenever I read a blonde character, my brain corrects it to brunette. Hmm. Um, and then he is also in his 40s. Yeah, I think so. Um, but he is very youthful. Yes. Um, very warm person. Very wise. We find out literally a warm person later Ooh. on. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, because there's no point of, like, hiding that. He's a phoenix. It's, like, what his power is. And this is not revealed until the very end. Yes. Um, and he is the only phoenix in, like, known in existence. At this yeah. Time. So Homie can light himself up. Yeah. And the part about burning into ashes doesn't really come up. He just kind of lights on fire and then just turns it off. He's and more then, like a, yeah. the human torch from Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Arthur. In a lot of ways, his, like, wisdom and, like, the things he would say reminded me a lot of Professor Dumbledore, but just, like, better. Yeah. <laughs> like, without the, um, giving his children up as bait to an evil villain. Yeah, no, he wouldn't do that. And I, I like his history of he was also, he was at this exact, mm -hmm. um, orphanage. And he was very much mistreated. Yes. Which is why he decided to go into his line of work of, like, you know, protecting magical youth. And um, he chose this orphanage to come back to so that, as he put it, he could turn it into a happy place instead of, like, the misery he had there, which was really yeah. sweet. Yeah, that was really beautiful. So, should we dive into some of the kids? I think we should finish with the adults first. So, let's do... Zoe. Okay, Zoe. 
we, yeah, we mentioned her. She is the island sprite who technically owns the island. Um, but she agrees with Arthur's vision, what he wants for the orphanage. So she lets him and the kids live there. And she's really protective of them. And she's also guilty. Or she feels guilty because she let what happened to yeah. Arthur happen because she was so, um, like, I guess, had hidden herself away so much that she didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but she still feels responsible. Yeah. And then you have the mayor of the town, Helen, um, who she's the mayor of the town, but she's also the owner of the local hardware store. Yes. Um, and at first she's kind of very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but then really leads the charge to have the town accept the children. Yes. Um, and actually ends up with Miss Zoe. Which yeah. Is, you know, it's always nice to sneak a little sapphic love into it. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I really liked her character because she was... Very unexpected. Yeah. She doesn't come along until, I would say, like more than halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, she leads the charge to sort of make this town realize that the kids are just kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into the kids. And we'll discuss who our favorites are later. Okay. Um, We can kind of go with them, I guess, in order that we meet them. So the first in that lineup is going to be Talia. Mm, I love Or Taylor. No, it's Talia. Talia. I love my girl Talia. She is a garden gnome. She is several hundred years old. She has a beard and she's round. She's round. That is like her main character trait. She loves to garden. And so like Mm. the garden on the island is just stunning, apparently. Yes. Um, She's always threatening people to whack them on the head with her shovel. And bury bury them. them. Yep. Yep, she's a sweetheart like that. Um, and she is hundreds of years old, but I guess for gnomes, they have to be like 750 before they're yeah, considered. Yeah, something like that. An adult. Um, and she's yeah. like 300 and some, so she's really like a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, she has a beard, which I think is so fun. Oh, she's so cute, yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the big things she identifies with with Linus is that they're both round and there's yes. nothing wrong with being round. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. She loved to point out people that were round. Yeah. Ugh. In such a loving way. She was so sweet. Um, but, like, with the, she tries to put off a really hard edge. Yes, she really does. She does. She wants to be, like, a hard ass, but... She's, it breaks down pretty she's quickly. She's such a precious little bug. Um, the next uh, child we meet is Theodore. Mm-hmm. A wavern. Um, oh, was that how you say it? How do you say it? I don't know. I didn't even know what it was until... You asked? Yeah, I was like, have you ever heard this before? Um, so as those... <laughs> I don't want to say this. This sounds so stupid. People who know like about mythical creatures, uh, a wavern <laughs> is a essentially a dragon, um, but with only two legs instead of four. And he seems to be a lot smaller than a dragon. Or is that just because he's a kid? I think both. Okay. Um, and he, his little thing is that like a lot of dragons in mythology, he wants to like he wants to collect and protect treasure. Mm, yes. Um, and so in order, basically, what happens when Arthur, Arthur, sorry, when Linus first gets to the island is that he loses his cat in the garden, mm-hmm. and uh, Taylor's like, oh, I keep wanting to say Taylor now. Talia is saying, oh, like. Theodore will help you find the cat. Yeah. Um, but you have to give him treasure first. So he ends up giving him one of his buttons, a brass button, 
which Theodore thinks is just the most amazing treasure on the planet. And from this point on, loves Linus to death because he got the most impressive treasure. And you know what? There is a quote that I have to throw out there specifically about this. Um, Later on, I mean, if you haven't gathered, Linus and Arthur do end up together. And so at one point, Arthur says this to Linus, you're too precious to put into words. I think it's like one of Theodore's buttons. If you asked him why he cared about them so much, he would tell you it's because they exist at all. Which is precious. It's so good. So, yeah, basically, he's just a little angel and he's collecting these buttons and they mean the world to him because they're his. Yep. Um, And then the next creature... Well, the next creature, that's awful. The next child we run into is Fee. Fee, the forest sprite. Sprite, yeah. Yep. So she is, like we said, a forest sprite, so she can make plants grow. Um, She's a little standoffish at first. I would definitely say out of all the kids. She's the least fleshed out. Yeah, we we don't get to know her all that well. But she has a really close relationship with Zoe because Zoe is an island sprite. And so Zoe sort of takes her under her wing and, you know, teaches her what it means to be a sprite, you know, how to control her powers, how to use them for good. Um, And that's, I mean, that's basically all we get from Fee. Yeah, not too much. She Um, seems really quiet, too. Yeah, and I think she is one of the ones that's touched by Lioness least. Like, Mm -hmm. she's not really truly, like, she doesn't have, like, a big story with him. Yeah. For the other ones, they have more of, like, an interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, the next child we meet is Saul. Yeah. Who is an older child. He's, like, 12. Yeah. No, I thought he was, like, in his teens. If it is, it's, like, his early teens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's, like, between 11 and 14. We'll say, yeah. Um, and his power is that he changes into a Pomeranian. Yes. Specifically when he's frightened. Yeah, and also, if he bites you, you will also start turning into a Pomeranian. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of this, he's been treated very poorly um, by his previous, like, you know, orphanage masters, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's very skittish, um, yeah. very easily frightened, and, like, doesn't trust anybody. Yeah, he's had a really shitty upbringing, so, you know, he's very um, slow to trust and become close to people and his hobby is writing yes he is a writer um and we'll get into some of those favorite scenes of one of those is with the with his um typewriter it's just so sweet. yes yes um we're getting close to the end but uh the next child that he meets is sweet chauncey chauncey our boy or are are they them? Are they them? But no, he said he feels like a boy. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Chauncey is a... He's unknown. Like a jelly slug mm-hmm. type creature. Yeah. This um, is the one character that they... We never find out what he is. Nobody knows what he is. He doesn't know what he is. He just kind of appeared one day. It's not even clear that he has parents. Right. Um, but he's basically an amorphous green blob with eyes and tentacles. And his dearest passion and ambition is to mm-hmm. become a bellhop one day. 
Absolutely precious. Um, because he wants to help people. Because he read some... <laughs> oh, no, he watched a movie that had a bellhop in it. Um, and he wants to help people. So that's what where we meet him, is that he has unpacked all of Linus's things. And um, expects payment. And expects a tip, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also one of the things that, like, really... One of the really great lines about Chauncey is when Arthur warns Linus that, hey... Chauncey might climb under your bed and try to, like, scare you in the morning. (laughs) But it's not anything vicious. And basically, it's explained that his whole life he was told that he was a monster. So he's just doing what he's thinking he's supposed to do. Yeah. Which is so sad. It's so sad. I just love him so much. (laughs) Um... But yeah, that's his dearest thing is to be a bellhop. And uh, later on, when they go to town, they get he gets a bellhop hat, and he just is tickled to pink. Oh God, I or love I guess Chauncey. lighter green. Yeah, I and I mean for those of us who know us, we named our Roomba Chauncey because we just love sweet Chauncey so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, our Roomba's our Roomba's name's Chauncey. We just love him. And then finally, we have Lucy. Mm-hmm. The Antichrist. Though on the island, they do not say the word Antichrist. Um, no. Because of all the negative connotations yes. that are along with it. Um, and basically, you know, while Arthur looks after all the children, this is his biggest project. Yeah. Is Lucy. Um, because what he's trying to do is basically prove it to Lucy that just because, you know, he has all this power... That's pretty negative, you know, and he has all these terrible thoughts because he is, um, you know, Satan's son. He doesn't have to act on them. And then mm-hmm. and his future is not predetermined. Yeah. And he can be good mm-hmm. um, if he makes that choice. And this is kind of where, like, the Dumbledore part of it comes in, I think. Of, yeah. Like, it reminds you of the scene in Chamber of Secrets when Harry is like, I think... You know, I've noticed similarities between me and Mm -hmm. Voldemort. Um, And they they go through that. And, you know, Dumbledore has a great line of, it's not our abilities that tell us who we are, but how we choose to use them. Yeah. And that's very much, like, the thought process going on here, is that just because of who he is does not mean that his future is determined already. Yeah. So a very sweet line. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially in Lucy, he comes off first as very scary. Yeah, Lucy's scary because... He he likes to get a rise out of people by playing on his, I guess, antichrist identity. And so when we first meet him, one of the first thing he says is something like, I will bring hellfire to you or something. Like he goes yeah. on these tirades where he says really scary shit. Like collecting human skulls and stuff yeah. like that. And it's not true. No, he's just doing it because he knows that it'll scare someone and he thinks it's funny. Yeah. And... You know, one of the big plot points with him is that he has these nightmares. Yes. Um, where basically, you know, whatever dark stuff is, like, lit, hiding in the back of his mind, like, tries to come and take over. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a scene where after the after the first time Linus really sees one where he's like, I don't want to be bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because in the end, he broke all of his records. Because that's oh. Lucy's big thing is that he loves music. Mm-hmm. Particularly music of dead artists. Yes, he loves a good dead artist. Um, the day the music died was like a really fun time for him. Yeah. 
Uh, so he had all these records in his room, and when his powers lashed out, they all got broken. Mm-hmm. And he was so upset. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And it just crushed me. It did. And you know what's so funny about when we first meet him? Arthur warns Linus, like, yeah, he says this crazy stuff. He doesn't mean it. Like, don't worry. You'll find it endearing soon enough. And I remember reading it and being like, how is this endearing? Like, this is scary. And then sure enough, like, a hundred pages into the book, I'm like, oh, my God, Lucy, stop. You're so funny. Um, One of the, like press quotes on the book is the most heartwarming story about the Antichrist. It's so true. Like, did I think I would fall in love with this little six-year-old Antichrist? No. But here I am. I'm president of the Lucy fan club. Yeah. And that's maybe a good segue into our next point, which is going to be, who is your favorite child? Honestly... I love Lucy and I love Chauncey, but I really just, I love Talia. She's so adorable. Yeah. And all of them are great. They're all perfect. I mean, with the exception really of Fee and it's not any problem with her. It's just, we don't know her enough to care. We don't really get to see her all that much. Um, So yours is Talia and I can totally see that. Um, I will say mine is Chauncey. Mm. Just because there is not a single bad bone. Well, there's no bones at all. But no bones in that body. <laughs> there's not a single evil thought in his entire mind. He's so precious. He's just good. Yeah, he's just innately good, which ugh, I just love that character. I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of encapsulates, I think, a lot of what the story is trying to talk about. Um, obviously, I would say the story is dripping with social commentary. Oh, yes. Um, you know, and a lot of it is kind of leaning on, I would say, racial mm-hmm. prejudice and... Um, Adversity. No matter... Who, and basically, the, the kind of heart, the core of the story is no matter who these kids... No matter who a child is, they're just a child. Mm-hmm. And they deserve respect and love like anybody else. Yeah, definitely. Which is a a great message. Yeah. I mean, this book came out in 2020 and man, was it timely. Oh, yeah, I think so for sure. And I mean, and that's why that line for Chauncey really sticks out to me of, you know, Mm -hmm. he, he was just told that's what he's supposed to be. So he tries to do that. But really, he's not that way at all. Yeah. All right, so let's get into it. Um, I guess we can do like a brief synopsis because there is like a slight fantasy aspect to it. I mean, it's a strong fantasy. Yeah, it's strong, but it's not like. There's not a lot of world building. Yeah, there's not. It's basically our world, but just imagine that there's magical creatures in it. And I think if you have an entry of Harry Potter in your backstory, you will then be able to quickly grasp onto it because it's a very similar like modern day Britain. I don't know why it is not said Britain in any way, but that is what pops in my head. Yeah, I picture it in England for sure. Just Um, like the rainy city and everything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So basically this book is starring our main character, Linus, and he is essentially a social worker for this government agency called the Department in Charge of Magical Youth. So the Shortened version is... It's like CPS, but for kids who are magical. But also there's kind of a 
nefarious slant of the government wants to kind of repress these people. It's yeah. almost like CPS um, if it was set in 19th century America and it was only for people who were mentally disabled and how he wanted to like lock them away at that time. Wow. That's kind of like the exact parallel, I think. Yeah, it really is. And that just brings up a whole lot of depressing um, backstory to it. So um, he is part of this government agency. They parade like it is, oh, we're taking care of these magical youths and we're putting them in these sweet orphanages. And it's very clear from the start that that's not the case. They're basically just trying to corral them into these homes so that they aren't a nuisance to the general public. So Linus's job is to basically go around from orphanage to orphanage and just make sure that the kids are taken care of, make sure that the um, caretaker is qualified, is, you know, doing their job, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no abuse. So he gets called up to extremely upper management, which I thought that was like a very Harry Potter thing, kind of like a whimsical, like the department is literally called extremely upper management. I thought that was just kind of like a cutesy little name. Mm -hmm. And they give him this case and they, they basically tell him, do not open like the case details until you get there because they, they know what he's in for and it's a scary ride. And he probably wouldn't have gone if he had known he was going to get He definitely wouldn't have. So he gets there, and before he gets to the house, he opens up his case details, and the very first child that he comes across is Sweet Lucy, a.k.a. Lucifer, a.k.a. the Antichrist. Right. Which he immediately passes out. Yeah, and, you know, I think, well, we'll get into it. Yeah, he immediately passes out, and then Mm -hmm. he's woken up by Zoe. Yes, Zoe is an island sprite. So she owns the island that the house is on and she lets them live there. She's kind of like a co-caretaker for the children. Um, And so she takes him to the island. And pretty early on, it's evident that the people who live in the nearby town hate these kids. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah. But they're also being paid to be quiet. Yeah. Because the children living in this orphanage are, like, so, quote, dangerous, the people are getting paid to, like, keep quiet about who exactly lives there. So right from the start, we're getting we're getting notes of adversity. We're getting notes of these poor kids being treated like shit by the townsfolk. So basically from there, he shows up to the island and... Meets the kids. And where the book really starts kind of taking off, especially just for all the characters involved, is when Linus finally persuades Arthur um, to take the kids to the mainland. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And Arthur, understandably, is very worried about this just because he knows that the village is not a huge fan. Mm -mm. Um, and is worried that something bad will happen. And then basically, you know, these kids will get taken away and then they're going to be, you know, mistreated somewhere inside the foster system. Yes. So they go into town. And at this point, Linus is still kind of wishy-washy about Lucy. He, He doesn't feel comfortable around him. And so Arthur splits up the group so that 
two kids go with each and um each adult each adult so zoe arthur and linus and linus gets lucy and talia which he is thrilled scared he is terrified and part of it is a arthur wants you know them to bond and b because linus has promised lucy to get him some records after his records are broken in a nightmare yes so First, they go to the hardwood store that is, um, I said hardwood, I meant hardware. Hardware store, yeah. (laughs) The hardware store owned by Helen, the mayor. And he lets our sweet Talia pick out some new gardening tools. And this is where we meet Helen and they kind of bond over gardens. And I love that Talia, just an absolute child, has no filter looks at some of the pictures of gardens that Helen has taken around town. She goes, "Mm, yeah, these look kind of crappy compared to mine. (laughs) Like basically tells her these are nice. It's just that mine's way better. If you want to see a real garden, come to the island. (laughs) Yeah, basically, which is so cute. And so they, they obviously don't get gifts often. No. And they do have some spending money. Yes. um, But the brand new shovel is a hoe. It was something like The brand new garden tool that um, (laughs) Talia really wanted was just a little over budget. Yes. And so Sweet Linus offers to pay for it. And she is just over the moon. Just Mm -hmm. cannot believe her luck. And at first, Helen is pretty standoffish. Like, Mm -hmm. but... They really bond through their shared love of gardening to the point where they were kind of just chatting afterward. Yeah. And Helen promised to come to the island to take a picture. Actually, she brings it up. She says, well, can I come to your island? Mm -hmm. So um, this is kind of where we start saying, oh, Helen's not that bad. Yeah, she's on board. Yeah. So after the hardware store, we go to the music store for Lucy to pick out some new records. And this is where we have our first taste of Bigotry. (laughs) Bigotry, essentially. Um, The owner of the music store is just a chill pothead, essentially. And he's just, like, clowning around with Lucy. Like, not bothered at all. No, they both like music. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot in common, so they're, you know, bonding. But when they go to the back room to look at more records, the, uh, the other person working at the store... Yeah, basically just, like, a helper... Is very much... The opposite. A dick. Yeah. And what does he say? He says something really nasty to Lucy. And so Lucy essentially, like, blasts When he tries to bring out a crucifix and basically, like, exercise Yeah, he tries to perform, like, a garden variety exorcist at, um... Or exorcism at this record store. And Lucy's, like, bestie now. And blasts him against the wall and, like, breaks his bones or something. Well, breaks his, like, arm or something. Yeah, I think it was like it was something very minor. Yeah, it was stupid. So obviously, <laughs> Linus is freaked the hell out because he does not take care of children often, and so now he's in this situation of what the hell do I do? But Linus, once he understands the situation, is not mad at Lucy. No, at not mad at Lucy at all. And neither is the store owner. The store yeah. owner's like, this guy's fired. Like, yeah, the store owner was like, "Lucy, my man, I hate this guy that works for me. He's the worst. Let's fire him." Which shout out to him, nameless pothead store owner. I love you. And then he gave the records to Lucy yeah. for free. Yeah. So it ended up being 
a really good trip for them. And afterwards, we go to the, the ice cream shop. That's kind of where everybody meets up. Um, you know, the other kids and Zoe and Arthur, we all meet there. And the ice cream shop owner is, again, he's sipping on whatever juice the uh, helper of the music store is sipping on. And he refuses to serve them. And who should arrive but our new best friend, Helen. Mm -hmm. And since she is the mayor of this town, she's got a lot of clout. She's got a lot of power. And so she basically tells the guy, like, if you're not going to serve them, I will. I know how to scoop ice cream. And so she goes behind the counter and she serves them ice cream. Yeah. I mean, it went better than I think Arthur thought it was going to go. But still, the kids obviously did face some some haters out mm -hmm. there. But it was, I think it was really good for them to, like, branch out and, like, see, you know, past the island, see what's out there. And um, I think it was a really important bonding day for Linus and the kids. Yeah, definitely. I think this is really what kind of unlocks him to say, like, okay, these kids are, like, inherently good mm -hmm. and deserve protection. And that leads us to the last interaction with the townsfolk. Yeah. Which is basically the guy who Lucy threw against the wall and the shop owner get the town all riled up. The ice cream shop owner, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get the town all riled up about, like, how awful these kids are and how they need to go to the island and, like, take care of it. Yeah. Um, and Helen is doing her best to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, and even... The ferry owner, who has not been kind to anyone, won't take them across, but only because they won't pay. Yeah. Um, so he's not really, basically... He's not really an ally. He just happens to be on the same side because he wants his money. Yeah. Um, and so Zoe's able to kind of sense this conflict. And so Zoe, Linus, and Arthur... Um, Go over. Yep. Which was in one of the coolest ways possible. Yeah. Because basically Zoe hardens the... She brings the salt because oh, it's right, in right, the right. ocean. So he, she brings all the salt from the salt water up to the surface and kind of creates like a bridge between the island and the uh, mainland. Right. For them to drive this car across, which is crazy. So they get there and at first they're very level-headed trying to defuse the situation, but it does not perhaps predictably go well no it escalates quite a bit and so arthur basically loses his cool mm -hmm. and lets his phoenix flag fly <laughs> uh and really scares the townsfolk yeah um and basically helen's like listen like i got this covered like don't worry about it um, and she does. She takes care of it. And basically mm -hmm. after that, everything kind of simmers down. Yeah. Like, they don't really attack the village, the attack of the kids anymore. No. And then, really, after that, the story, you know, wraps up. Mm -hmm. Linus finishes his observation period, returns to Extremely Upper Management, hands in his report. Basically, they're not super happy because they yeah. wanted it to close, and he recommended that it did not close. Mm hmm um, once he gets a decision from extreme level management that the case has been accepted and the orphanage is not closing, he basically just quits. He, yeah, he lets them have it though. Oh yeah. He basically says like, no offense besties, but this organization is a scam. We are not taking care of these kids. We are not their allies. We are not their advocates. We're basically just letting them fester in these homes where they're not really being treated all that well. And I'm not really about that anymore, so I'm going to duck out and bye. 
Yeah, that's really it. And then he decide, and then he gets back on the train, goes back out to the island, kind of tells him that he's gonna quit. Um, and then they hit share their little kiss, <coughs> which was really sweet. Um, and then you know, sue me if I'm wrong, but they end up filing to adopt the kids formally, don't they? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I think they do. My brain says they do. Um, but if I don't, you know, sound off in the comments. There are no comments, but sound off. Yeah. And that's really the synopsis. I mean, yeah. short and sweet. Please that... see the written work for more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did see one person gave this book four out of five stars, which I thought was a travesty, um, solely because the plot, when you look at it, is really simplistic. And predictable. But you know what? I don't think that's always a bad thing. Yeah, I, I think it's beautifully written. And even though I knew what was going to happen, it was just so good. <laughs> yeah, you know, and this is kind of something that's antithetical to typically how I enjoy books. Because it is not a plot-driven story. It is 100% a character-driven yeah. story. And typically, I like a lot of plot. So Yeah. Yeah, there's really not a lot of action, but it's... it has to be good if I'm going to love it that much. Yeah. And that, I mean, I guess that that's how you know that this book is just so damn good because we both love it. Mm -hmm. And we have pretty differing tastes when it comes to romance and when it comes to books. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I would honestly hesitate to call this a romance novel. There's a romance subplot. but I think the book. Is yeah. A lot the romance more... is definitely very subtle. Yeah. And it's more like learning who you are mm -hmm. and like the concept of chosen family. Yes. Um, yes. and you know that basically it's never too late for your life to take a right turn. Yeah. Yeah. So should we maybe dive into some of our like favorite quotes and stuff? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I have a few that I wanted to bring up because there, this is one of those books where you just have to like, share the quotes because they're so good. So the first one, this is, I think, really um, on the nose for a lot of the stuff that we've gone through, especially in 2020 with um, past presidents. Hate is loud, but I think you'll learn it's because it's only a few people shouting, desperate to be heard. You might not ever be able to change their minds, but so long as you remember you're not alone, you will overcome. Ugh. What a what a quote. And I mean there's It just hits. I will say as I read this book, I cried multiple times. Yeah. I've, I've had many books where like something sad happened and I cried, but I would say this is probably I can't think off the top of my head of any other book where I cried from like joy mm -hmm. or like just feeling like seeing. catharsis. Yes, catharsis is a big theme for this book. <laughs> Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I very rarely cry during a book. Um, when I do, it's usually something along the lines of mental health or just like having, you know, my deepest, darkest feelings put into words. And so this was a book where I cried a lot. I think my list of like crying is only like five long. I cried oh, yeah. when Brom died. Okay. Yeah. In Aragon. Mm-hmm. I cried when Dumbledore died. Yeah. Um, friends, <laughs> I 
don't know where that original copy of Half Blood Prince is, um, but I do remember that there were tear stains all over that like (laughs) chapter because I was just sobbing uncontrollably. Um, And then Dobby. Yeah, Dobby. Poor Dobbs. When Dobby died, ugh, that. If I think about it too hard, it'll make me cry again. Yeah. Especially when he says, you know, like, I'm just happy to be with my friends. Like, that shit <laughs> is awful. And then beyond that, I really can't think of another book that really made me cry. Yeah. I'm sure. For me. Akatari probably. Yeah, for me, the only other book I can think of that I cried so much in was A Court of Silver Flame. When she had her big mental health breakthrough at the very end. Yeah, and I think... Someday, someday might have made me cry too, so. Which I still need to read. Yeah. Um, speaking <laughs> of lines that, like, really hit home, uh, we're not going to go into it too much because it's kind of a dark place. <laughs> um, but there's one part at, towards the beginning where it's kind of describing Linus. Mm, I know exactly what you're going to say because I felt it too. <laughs> when Linus, I forget the exact quote, but Linus basically says that, you know, he had kind of decided years ago that there was no one meant for him, like, romantically, and then that was okay. Mm-hmm. And, like, that really hit home for me, because it's a thought I've had many times. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people can identify with that. It was something along the lines of some people just end up alone, and that's okay. And obviously he doesn't end up alone, but, like, when he said that, I was like, okay, sir, you didn't have to come for my wig like this. Yeah, it hurt, but in a good way. In a good way. Like, oh, you too? Damn. Um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I've been through it. I've had my my fun times with mental health, especially in the last like two years. So there was this one quote that I was like, Bestie, you didn't. I forget who is saying it. It's one of the kids. So picturing this coming out of a kid's mouth like makes it hurt even better. Yeah. They said humanity is so weird. If we're not laughing, we're crying or running for our lives because monsters are trying to eat us. And they don't even have to be real monsters. They could be the ones we make up in our heads. Don't you think that's weird? And I said, shit, yeah, that that hurt. Yeah, I think obviously TJ Klune has dealt with his fair share of mental illness. Yeah. Because it's handled expertly, I would say. Oh, yeah, this is... This is a masterclass in how to address mental illness and, like, making it relatable, making it hopeful. hmm Yeah. For sure. So there were a lot of parts in this book that just really took my heart and shredded it into a thousand pieces and then put it back together in, like, a better way. Yeah. That's how I felt after I read this book. I felt cleansed. Yeah. It's a really cathartic book. For sure. For sure. So going back to um, that quote I shared about hate and how I felt it very much resonated with some of the stuff we've been through here in America lately. Here's another one that I think everybody needs to read and then get tattooed on their forehead (laughs) and then look at it every day. Just because you don't experience prejudice in your everyday doesn't stop it from existing for the rest of us. Yeah, that one, I mean... It should be mandatory reading because there's a lot of people who don't get that. Oof, yeah, and we could wax poetic about that all day, but this is not a political podcast, meaning we're not going to give political commentary. We're just going to leave that for you and 
Did you with what you Yeah, will. I hope that you uh, see that and take it to heart. <laughs> um, one of the, the strongest tropes in this book was um, the found family trope. You know, your chosen family. Which I will say is a very heavily LGBT yes. group. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And so this quote here is essentially about, you know, you're having your chosen family and having that become your home. So I believe it was Zoe talking to Linus towards the end when he's thinking of going back to the city because his assignment is ending. And she says, a home isn't always the house we live in. It's also the people we choose to surround ourselves with. You may not live on the island, but you can't tell me it's not your home. Your bubble, Mr. Baker, it's been popped. Why would you allow it to grow around you again? Yeah. Damn, Zoe. I mean, it's very true too because he definitely goes through such an arc of like being very closed off and very numb Mm -hmm. and then kind of waking up so to speak on the island yes yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it he's definitely like in the city it was like he was living with his eyes closed and all of a sudden everything's bright and colorful and happy right just a stark contrast to what he was living and i think this book also has a very strong argument for you know choosing a life that makes you happy Mm -hmm. no matter what the consequences may be and just kind of dealing with it um because you know linus i wouldn't say he was super successful but he was successful yeah he was good at his, his job in his line of work um and he threw it all away, essentially, mm-hmm. in order to do this. But that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, in America, is a very strong statement yes. to make. Yes. Where success is everything and mm-hmm. happiness is secondary. Yeah, I think it definitely puts emphasis on you can be successful and good at your job, but until you take care of yourself and do what's right for you, that's not going to matter at all. Yeah. And I also like how the book really says, like, it's never too late, essentially. Yes. Yeah, that was also, I think, really uplifting is that the main characters were, like, in their 40s. So, you know, it didn't have the, oh, we're in our 20s. We have our whole lives ahead of us type thing. It was, okay, my current life, like, isn't great. It's not working out for me. But it's not too late for me to fix it and still live a really happy life. Yeah, definitely. Love that. So we can go ahead and, you know, move on to our normal closing section. Okay. Um, And, of course, our first normal segment is what's gay about it. Now, um, as an LGBT book. It's gay. It just is gay. It is gay. Um, I'm going to do my best to give each character their own gay trait. Okay. Um, But just the main ones. Yeah. Um, so for Linus, being obsessed with your cat who hates you, that's gay. You live that every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Arthur, being a really good person, but just because of who you are, conservatives everywhere hate you, that's gay. Damn. <laughs> this, this cuts deep. <laughs> for Talia, being obsessed with houseplants and gardening... That's gay. Yeah, I could see that. For Fee, um, just being pretty and having no personality, that's gay. Also, I feel like the entire species of sprites seems very sapphic to me. 
Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so who's next? Um, next we have Theodore being obsessed with shiny things. That's gay. Um, Sal being a tortured artist who is very sheltered and doesn't want doesn't want not doesn't want to publish their art. That's gay. Um, Chauncey um, being told you're a monster, but really you're a nice person who just wants to help people. That's gay. Damn. Uh, <laughs> Lucy. Um, kind of the same thing, but harboring darkness inside of you, even though you're truly good. That's gay. Wow. So that wow. came off as preachy, but it's also gay. Yeah. Wow. Good. I mean, good job. You, you, you did it. You managed to find one for each of them. I did. <laughs> All right. So should we pop into our um, would you rathers? Oh, let's. This was a tough one. I really couldn't think of all that many, so I just have a couple. Okay. Um, would you first off? Would you rather be a forest sprite or will you say wavern wyvern? Wavern. Okay. Would you rather be a forest sprite or a wavern? Forest sprite. Me too. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fun. I think it's fun to be able to control nature and like be able to create yeah. like the like cottagecore paradise. Yes. Oh yeah. Like, there'd be wisteria trees all over the damn place. All over the damn place. So true, bestie. All right. Now, <laughs> I know your answer and you know my answer, but we're doing it anyway. Would you rather be with Linus or Arthur? Arthur. Arthur. And I think part of it is because I identify so deeply with Linus that I'd be, like, dating myself. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just think Arthur is so warm mm-hmm. and... Maybe an opposites attract kind of thing with me. And I think everyone wants to be healed. <laughs> yeah. It would be like dating your own therapist, but like in a healthy way. Not in like a yeah. psychosexual. Lisa, if yeah. you're listening to this, first off, I'm really sorry that you're listening to this. Um, I don't want to date you. That's good. Yeah. But I, I would date Arthur. I would. I just, yeah. What a prince. What a prince. I don't even like kids and I would get into the situation. Yeah, no offense, Ryan. I like fear the idea of you living on this island. Why? I don't think I think you're good with kids. I think it would be good for the kids. I just I know how much you enjoy a child's company. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. Ryan, um, don't ever hire him to babysit. He won't have fun. I was a babysitter when I was a kid. Again, I, I think you're good with kids. I think you just hate being with kids. I guess that's true. Yeah. 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 Whereas I love a baby. Yeah, I know you do. I like a toddler, which is crazy. That is crazy. But like when they're just fun and like carefree, I think that's the best. And also they're a little bit self-sufficient. I'm talking like like four or five. I want a newborn baby that I can just hold. I know. And I don't want that. I just want to hold them and smell their head. Ladies and gentlemen, a dog is too needy for me. That's why I like cats, so. That's true. All right, well, that was all I had for Would You Rather, so I guess we can pop into the romance meter. I think we're going to have differing opinions here. You tell me, out of one through ten, what do you think this is? For romance? Yeah. I think this is a controversially upbraid thing to say. I'd say like three or four. (gasps) Really? I love this book. But it's not a romance movie. I honestly thought you were going to do full 10 out of 10 because this is like what you look for in a romance. And that there isn't one? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> no. Um, I like I said. I think the story is about so much more than just yeah. a romance. It's much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, to me, the romance is just like a corollary. It's not. It's nice. Yeah. But it's much more about self discovery and mm-hmm. um, prejudice and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, if we're thinking about it in that way, then I would agree with you, like, a three or a four. But I thought about it in terms of, like, how much I enjoyed the romance. I said it was a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Because, you know me, I would have loved that they snuck a few kisses in there. Yeah. But I think we had one, maybe two. I think you have... Maybe a second one right at the end? I think there might be one in the epilogue, maybe. Yeah. And... With the Yeti... I love a good smack and a kiss on you moment. Yeah, you do. But it was it was understated. It was simple. It was subtle. And I mean, it's a book about kids. So I get why there's like not a lot of focus on the romance. But, you know, I, I always say more is more. And I don't mean to sound like I'm saying that I don't enjoy the romance in this. I do. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's a romantic story. Yeah. But, like, your personal enjoyment of it, what would it be, 1 through 10? Like an 8. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, well, I think that pretty much um, wraps it up. Mm-hmm. Dee Dee, where can they find us? So, you can find us on Instagram. Our account is I Like It Okay Pod, and both of our personal accounts are linked in that bio if you ever wanted to stalk us a little bit. And then you can find me on TikTok. My handle is That Book Babe. Yep, Um, and definitely on whatever your platform of choosing is, please, if it allows it, leave a review. Um, We would love to know, you know, what we're doing right, what we're not hitting work correctly on. (laughs) Um, And our DMs are always open for that as well. So yeah, this has been another episode of I Like It Okay. Bye. Bye.